We are in Jeremiah, the sermon series here, the entire book, we're looking at how God's plan prevails, that all these things that he's working together, he has a plan, and it's going to prevail. And we will see this in, in, in small passages like we will look at today, and we will see this in the heart of the entire book, the entire prophecy of Jeremiah, and we will, we will see over and over and over again how God's plan prevails. But today... What I specifically want us to look at, Jeremiah 1, specifically verses 4 and 5, known before creation. This is Jeremiah 1, 4 through 5, and you can see the other passages mentioned up there. What I want to do before we read these two verses is I'm just going to give disclaimers up front. We're going to talk about something sensitive today. We're going to talk about how God knows us in the womb, uh, and you cannot have that conversation without talking about something that's very common in our country today, which is abortion. Um, But the way that I'm going to approach it is with gentleness and with respect for for human beings, regardless of the decisions they make, I'm going to love them. And uh, it does not mean that I have to endorse the decisions they make. And it also means that I can still stand against decisions that are made and still love people. Uh, There are statistics that say that in the United States of America, one in four adult women have had an abortion. And if that is true, that means that there is probably someone in this room today who has had an abortion. And if that is true, then I do not want you to feel like you have to run out the door because of what you're about to hear. I don't want you to think that uh, I will not love you if I discover that truth about you. Uh, I will love you as much as I love anybody else and the sins that they have in their life and their heart. I do think that this is a a sin that we need to discuss. It's not one that we need to run from. Uh, I can't start the book of Jeremiah off talking about this thing that is a big part of Jeremiah and then uh, just mention it and move on. It's It's an important, a very important part of Jeremiah. I've been here three years. I've never preached a sermon on this topic. But when, when we are going through the Bible verse by verse, you cannot skip it. You have to preach the counsel of, of God's word, the whole counsel of God's word. And so what we're going to do is we're going to try our best to take a topic that is uh, not only morally conflicting and causes arguments and fights, but politically, right? It's everything in our country right now is politicized. And so I want to make a political statement. I don't do that very often either, especially since I'm an independent and I don't, you know, I just kind of try to stay out of that fight. But, uh, but what I want to say is that this is not, this is, this, is, this is just me. So maybe I'll get fired for this. This is not in what I'm about to say is not the Bible. This is Philip saying this, okay? Um, We have to learn uh, to have civil discourse. We have to learn how to talk to one another with love and respect, whether we agree with one another or not. And we have to make sure that if, for those of you who think, as I do, that abortion is a sin, that life begins at conception and therefore ending a life 
that is a sin. That is something you should be passionate about. But when you are trying to communicate to people and trying to communicate for change, then just yelling is not going to get the job done. There ha- we have to, it's, not, it's not in the DNA of our country right now that they are people who listen with reason. And people in the church can be the worst about it. So we have to make sure that we are taking initiative in talking about these things with respect and gentleness, no matter how passionate we are about them. But we do not need to dumb down our convictions. We do not need to um, walk back some of the beliefs that we have in order to get along better. No. We have to love and respect people and desire for them to see things our way, sure. Communicate to them our, the truth of God's Word and the Bible in a way that they're going to be able to receive it. And then, hopefully, by the grace of God, maybe some minds will be changed. And, and, and so... When we talk about this, it's a serious topic. I can't skip it. Sorry. I'm I'm not sorry. I'm not sorry that I'm going to preach God's word without being sorry about it. Uh, But I also want you to know that I'm probably going to offend everybody in the room today, okay? Because I'm going to talk about it from a place of reason and, um, and, and loving people who have done something that many of us think is a terrible sin. Um, but be honest with yourself. Who in this room hasn't done a terrible sin? And if, if you don't think you have, then you, you don't understand God's word. Because our sins put Jesus on the cross. That in itself is terrible. I mean, the most terrible thing that's ever happened in the history of humanity. And so, um, all right. Well, this will be a fun sermon. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. Now the word of the Lord came to me, me being Jeremiah. We introduced this last week in, the, in verses 1 through 3. We looked at uh, where Jeremiah comes from, when he's preaching, all of these things. Um, and, and just to give you a brief summary, many of you, if, if you've gone to Sunday school for a while and you've read the Bible, you remember the, the good King Josiah. He was a boy when he became king. He was eight years old, and as he grew up, he uh, emptied the um, country of its false idol worship and, and things like that. He was trying to get rid of it. He was trying to reform. He, he, they brought the, the word of God. The, uh, they find it and bring it to Josiah, the book of the law, and they begin to try to do the things that are in there. And he's making some great progress until he dies. Right? He, he's killed because he goes out against the king of Egypt. And the king of Egypt was wanting, it seems from the passage, wanting to not fight. And Josiah went out anyway. And so uh, Josiah dies. And what we see here is that Jeremiah doesn't pick up when Josiah is dead. Jeremiah has time that overlaps with Josiah. And the reforms that Josiah is trying to make, 
Jeremiah is prophesying and preaching those things that those things need to take place. And so you might wonder, last week, we didn't get time to read all three of those chapters that we were looking at, um, but it's, you know, it wouldn't bode well today if we were to, as Christians, go around our country knocking down the, all the places of worship of, of the people who are worshiping other gods. Am I correct in thinking that? Okay. All right. Now, but there is a reason why Josiah was doing that. Uh, ultimately, of course, there's the one true God that we're supposed to be worshiping. But there's, there's even more to why Josiah didn't just say, oh, don't believe that. Here's what's, here's what's the true God. Remember the guy that brought us out of Egypt? Remember the guy who delivered us time and time again during the reign of the judges? Remember all that? And last Sunday night, we, we went through that. We looked at that. We looked at the history of Israel and Judah and how Judah, which is where we are now, um, how it, they came to be right there in that place. And um, so, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah during this time that I just mentioned, saying... Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Now, the, next week, we're going to pick up right here where we're leaving off. And in, in, we'll start in verse 6. And we're going to see that Jeremiah was young himself when God called him, when God appointed him. Um, but not as young as he was when God created him for this purpose, created him for God's glory, as we sang about earlier, for his pleasure. Um, if you were to think about some things, because we see here in verse 5, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before he even formed Jeremiah in the womb, he knew him. God knows us from the beginning. God is all-knowing. So even before our creation, He knows us. We see times in Scripture like Psalm 139. I know that a bunch of you in here like that. And we don't have time to, to go to all of these passages that are outside of Jeremiah. But in Psalm 139, we see that He knitted us together in our mother's womb. That He loves us. He created us. He gives us life. And of course, Science plays a role in that, right? Uh, what did God, the, a lot of times we think that the first commandment in the Bible is not to eat of the, the tree, uh, but in Genesis 1, there's a commandment, multiply and fill the earth, right? So, of course, science and, and reproduction is a part of a child being born. Of course, we have a role to play in that, but God is God. God has a role to play in that. And he specifically knows each individual who is being created. He knows them. Just as he tells Jeremiah, he knows him. And then in, in Isaiah, I told you we would be in Isaiah. Isaiah 43, I have to read this verse now just because I accidentally said we're in Isaiah. Uh, in Isaiah 43, verse 7, he says he's talking about how he's going to deliver them, how he's going to rescue them. And he's the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. And he says in verse 7, Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I 
formed and made. God is creator. God, yes, there was the original creation, but he has not taken his hand off of us. We are upheld by his word, according to Colossians. And so God is still in the business of creating. It's not that he just knew people back in Jeremiah's day, and he doesn't know us anymore. God knows. He knows everything that we will do before we have done it. He knows our personality before we're even born. He knows, you know that feeling you get, if, for those of you in the room who have children, you got to be there when you first saw your child, right? That feeling of like immense joy, a feeling of smallness, a little bit of fear, <clears throat> maybe a lot, <clears throat> of how am I going to like keep this thing alive? The, the, the feeling of being a parent and, and just the love and the overwhelming sense of duty and responsibility, all those things. Think about if you're God. And he has created all of us and he knows each one of us. And you might think, well, he's God. He's got way more children than you've got, Philip. Yeah, but he's infinite. So he can stop time in and of itself and just be there with us in each moment. He's outside of time, so it doesn't relate to him in the same way. And so he can spend an eternity in this moment, in this room right now. Whatever you're going through and wherever you are in life, he can be there with you right now to give you peace, to give you comfort. He can wrap his arms around you because he is your creator. He formed you. He knows you. Now, if we come and have a relationship with him, if we follow him, if we ask him to to save us, then he can give us that type of relationship. We might not feel it in its full sense on this side of eternity, but one day we will be with him without any of these restrictions, without any walls up between us, without the, the, the glass that reflects things dimly right now. One day we will see things clearly. One day we will be in his presence and there will be no more pain and no more suffering. And so, with that said, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. This is going to be a theme that we see throughout Jeremiah, that God cares for people. He cares for the individual. He cares for the innocent. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, before you were born, I consecrated you. So does God care about life in the womb? Does he consider it life? Yes, we, and this is not the only place that we see this. We see this, this is a common thing that pops up throughout the Bible. So should we care about life in the womb? Absolutely. And so what we have to realize, though, is that there are a bunch of people, I will say, if you are a Christian, if you love God, I do think that it is important for us to biblically understand how God feels about life in the womb Because God's feeling about it should shape our feeling about it. And I'm not going to be apologetic about taking that stance. But I also want us to understand that there are people who in in life find themselves in some really difficult situations. And sometimes they make decisions based on what they think is best. I'm not saying that what they think is best is best. I'm just saying 
that sometimes they make decisions on what they think is best. And so if you try to put yourself in their shoes, a lot of them, not all of them, but not, a lot of them not knowing God, then you make the best decision that you can make. That's what you try to do. And if you have people telling you that life doesn't begin until birth, then in your mind, what's the harm about what you're about to do? And so it's our job as Christians to make sure that we, first of all, I'm not even talking about people outside of the church. I'm talking about those of us in the church. And when I say in the church, I'm not talking about a building. I'm talking about in the body of Christ. Those of us who, who really are followers of Jesus, we need to have a biblical understanding about life. We need to understand that it is God who creates. It is God who forms. And, and sure, he, he uses natural processes. He uses the scientific things that we know about. Yes, absolutely. God is, is beyond science, though. He, he is a God of miracles. He is supernatural. If he was, if he was just natural then maybe he would just be like the best scientist ever and know how to arrange things. But he's beyond that. He created from nothing. The original creation, there was nothing except God, and then there was. How does that happen? I don't know. I wasn't there. But he created everything from nothing. And so his original creation was everything from nothing. But yes, now there are processes in place where we have babies, we multiply, we fill the earth. And so... What we have to do is to make sure that we're taking these truths about what God says in Scripture and that we're presenting them to ourselves first, that we are making sure that we know as a church what is truth and that we are living by those convictions. And this, this is easier said than done. And here's why I say that. Because I know the truth of God's Word, and guess what I catch myself doing? Every single week. Sinning. And there are times when I feel like so victorious that, man, I have been doing pretty good about not sinning. And then God says, oh yeah, well what about this thing? And then I realize there's this attitude I've had like my entire life that was sin. And I'm like, oh, not only have I not been doing good this week, I've never done good because I didn't know about this thing that I've been doing my whole life that was against your, your desires and who you've created me to be. And so, all right, I'm, I'm chasing a rabbit. I need to get back for time's sake. <clears throat> and before you were born, I consecrated you. And then there's a special calling of Jeremiah. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Now, not all of us in this room are going to be called to be prophets, right? We, we have different callings in life. But you know what? God knows your calling before it even comes. He called Jeremiah at this point, at a certain point. But before he called him, he knew what he created Jeremiah, who he created Jeremiah to be. And he appointed him to be that. And God knows each and every one of us. Now, my mom, who is awesome, um, but she was a teenager when she got pregnant with me. And uh, it would have been very easy for her to get an abortion. It would have been very easy for her to say, I'm not married. Um, I love my grandparents, and my mom and my grandparents reconciled, and they became the closest people in her life. Uh, but my grandparents kicked her out of the house when they found out she was pregnant. Um, it would have been very easy for her to hide that pregnancy. 
it would be very easy for me to not be here preaching this message. And I know that many of you in the room have a similar story or a harder story even. And God knew that I would be preaching this sermon before I was even created. God knew that I would be preaching this sermon before my teenage mom was even created. God knew that I would be preaching this sermon before Adam and Eve were created. Because God knows everything. He's omniscient. And so, what we have to make sure that we're doing is understanding the value of life in the womb. That this is not just some cells that have come together and began to form a human life. This is a human life in the womb. And we have to know that as Christians. But we also have to understand where other people are coming from who do not have that worldview, who do not have that understanding. And, and if we don't like what they think, then it's our job to become people of influence in their lives by love and kindness and, and proving our faithfulness and by proving our love for them. It's our job to become people of influence in our towns, in our communities. It's, it's our job for some of us to become politicians. I will be praying for you if that is what God is calling you to do, but that is, that is what God is calling some of us to do that we need to be leaders who understand that we have people with various views underneath us, and it's our job to use the, the influence that we have for God's glory and for good while still respecting the different views of other people in, the, in our local communities. And then it's our job. We need state leaders. We need national leaders. We need world leaders. We need people who know this truth to be people I know I said uh, this is going to be a political sermon, so I'm sorry if I've already offended you deeply, but I'm, I'm going to keep going. So whether you agree with this man and all of his uh, antics might not be the right word, but whatever. Uh, Mike Huckabee used to be governor of our state, used to be a Baptist preacher. Um, he, when he was running for president, anybody remember what year that was? I can't remember now. Uh, one year. Um, was that the same year as Trump? First term? Oh, it was, Ob it was in the Obama years. Yeah, yeah, so I'm old. It was, it was a while ago. All right, so he said something in a debate one time when they were talking about pro-life, and now it's picked up, and, 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 and I really believe that he meant it sincerely, um, and it's kind of become a catchphrase for people who don't even mean it, uh, and you can tell by their actions sometimes, but um, they were having a debate about, you know, pro-life, and he said, well, I think that if Christians were pro-life, not just in the womb, but for babies who need to be adopted, for children who need to be taken care of, for the elderly who are suffering. I think if we were pro-life from beginning to end, maybe people would respect our pro-life decisions more about how we feel about the womb. And I could not agree more with that statement. And I think that is spot on. You see, we have a hard road to, to, to what is that phrase? Is it, Hard road to toll. I had it right, but it just doesn't sound right. Row, hard. Yeah, okay, now it makes sense. All right, thanks, guys, for your edification and education. I love, like, that stuff is fun to me. Rose told me that last night she woke up, and I said in, in, in my sleep, I don't know. Let me look that word up in the dictionary. I mean, that's just, 
that's just the nerd that I am, so thanks for teaching me that. Anyway, uh, hard road, road to hoe, to hoe. okay, I'll get it right. <clears throat> yeah, I got it now. Seems like I know that where I grew up, huh? All right, so, uh, so we, we, it is a difficult path ahead of us, but we have a responsibility as Christians to love everyone. Even the people who disagree with us, even those who hate us, we have a responsibility to love them, not to get defensive, not to tell them how they're going to hell and how terrible they are and they're the worst thing about our country. And, and right now, that's where you are, right? If you're a far right, this is my right, I know it's not your right, uh, conservative then you think that liberals are the worst thing to ever happen to our country and they're all going to hell? And if you're far left, then you think those conservatives are the worst thing to ever happen to our country and they're going to hell? If, if you're over here, you think they don't care about life in the womb, they don't care about what's best for our country, and if you're over here, you're thinking those people don't care about the poor and those people don't care about what's the suffering that's taking place across our world right now and in our own country. It, it, look, most people in America care about America. We just have different philosophies, different ways of looking at things. And sure, I truly dislike some of the views that some people have. Um, Y'all are probably thinking, I'm with you. I have some of the views. I dislike some of the views that you're talking about right now. But I want to make something clear. God cares about life in the womb. God cares about life before it's even in the womb. God cares about life after it's out of the womb. God cares about life till it, it goes to the grave. And God cares about life for eternity. He cares about life so much that he sent his son to die for us. And so we have to have the same passion and zeal for life that God had. But we can't just say, uh, don't have an abortion. If we're going to say that, then those people who, if they were to have a child, they would not want to take care of it. We have to be willing to take care of those children. We have to be willing to adopt. And, and how, don't raise your hands, but how many of you in this room right now are willing to do that? And you might say, well, it's not my place to take care of someone else's bad judgment. Okay, but that bad judgment will have a life. And that bad judgment will go through some serious, serious things. I mean, if you, I'm not even going to get into... <clears throat> I'm, I'm just going to skip that. Mark it from the record. I'll, I'll, I'll erase that in editing, Carol. <clears throat> All right. Jeremiah 7, verses 30 through 31. Hey, uh, spoiler alert. God brings in Babylon to destroy Judah. That's, that's how Jeremiah... That's where it's going. The people never repent. And God will destroy his own country, his own people. And he, he has a reason to do so. It would be reason enough if the people were just rebelling against him, right? That, he's God. He has a right to do that. If the people were rebelling against him. I mean, how many of you parents have ever spanked a child or disciplined a child because they were rebelling against you? Okay? So as God, he has a right to punish if he sees fit. These are his people. These are the Jewish people. These are the Israelites. And by the way, if they weren't Jewish, they'd still be his people because he created us all. And just in a different way, his people. But we're going to see 
one of the main reasons why God brought in Babylon to destroy Judah. Jeremiah chapter 7, verses 30 and 31. For the sons of Judah have done evil in my sight, declares the Lord. They have set their detestable things in the house that is called by my name to defile it. So they're worshiping other gods inside his church. Verse 31. And they have built the high places of Topheth, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, to burn their sons and their daughters in the fire. Children's sacrifice. This is one of the reasons. And apparently one of the main reasons. Why God destroyed his own people. He starts this book by talking about his respect. I mean, of course, there's the introduction, the first three verses. But as soon as it gets to Jeremiah and his call, he starts by, I knew you in the womb. Before you were in the womb, I knew you. I consecrated you. I appointed you. I'm involved. And God has a purpose for each one of our lives. God has a plan and he knows what that plan is. And ultimately, God's plan prevails. But inside of that plan, there's all these things that are happening affected by sin that God does not wish to happen in a sense because he does not desire for sin to happen. But he's not going to let our sins and our wrong actions negatively affect his plan. His plan will still come to fruition. But do you think he's going to sit there and let these people offer their children as sacrifices? God hears the cries of those who call to him. You think he cares about the calls of children? You think he cares about the cries of babies? You care, don't you? So how much do you think God cares? So what does that mean for our country? When we're willingly offering babies like that. And I know that's strong language. I know it is. And believe me, I get it. If you're coming from a place where you don't think that's life in the womb, or you're thinking about all the pregnancies that end before they even really begin just naturally, not, not because of uh, abortion, how we define the word, but just naturally, it's, it's a hard thing to to think about. It's a hard thing to understand what's going on there. I don't understand it, but I don't understand a lot of what God does. I don't understand like what happens to a newborn who's, who's born and lives for a little while, but doesn't have a body that's able to do anything. What is that baby like in heaven? I don't know. Is it given like a full-formed adult body? Because it's going to have a, a glorified body. I don't know. I don't have all those answers. But you know what I know? I know that I love God and I trust him. And I know that God loves life. And he be believes that life is in the womb. And so we should love that life in the womb. And when that life exits the womb, we should love it. We, we have not just our children, but we have children in our house all the time. That's mainly Rose, so I'm not bragging on me. But it's because we, we love children. There are mornings when I wake up thinking I'm about to have a day off and there are children in my home. Like, what are you doing? And then there are nights when Rose wakes up in the middle of the night and there are people in our house because we love people. We want to be there for people no matter what their age is, no matter how much of an inconvenience they are to us. 
And everybody needs to have healthy boundaries. And i got to figure that part out before it's too late. Seriously. But God cares. They have offered their sons and daughters. They've built these high places of Topheth in the Valley of Hinnom. They've offered their sons and daughters to the fire, which I did not command, nor did it come to my mind. Jeremiah 19, verses 4 and 5. Because the people have forsaken me and have profaned this, high, this place by making offerings in it to the other gods whom neither they nor their fathers nor the kings of Judah have known. You can't know this false god, this thing that's created. It can't know you. And because they have filled this place with the blood of innocence, verse 5, and have built the high places of Baal to burn their sons in the fire as burnt offerings to Baal, which I did not command or decree, nor did it come to my mind. Jeremiah 22, verse 17. But you have eyes and heart only for your dishonest gain, for shedding innocent blood, and for practicing oppression and violence. You see why, by the way, <clears throat> some of these verses, like that one we just read, written to the sons of Josiah, the great Josiah that we read about last week, his sons become king, but they did not do good like their father. They did evil like their grandfather and his father. And they're encouraging this kind of behavior. Jeremiah 32, verses 33 through 35 they have turned to me their back. I, I added verse 33. It wasn't on the first slide, but as I was studying last night, I thought it was just too good. But here it is. I, I've got it in, uh, in, on the screen. But uh, they have turned to me their back and not their face. And though I have taught them persistently, they have not listened to receive instruction. They have not listened to receive instruction. Verse 34. They set up their abominations in the house that is called by my name to defile it. They built the high places of Baal in the valley of the son of Hinnom to offer up their sons and daughters to Molech, though I did not command them, nor did it enter my mind that they should do this abomination to cause Judah to sin. And you might say, well, this isn't necessarily about life in the womb because these kids have been born. Life is life. We have to make sure that we as Christians, that we understand what God's word says about life, that we value it. And you might say, yeah, but God gave up his own son, so how much could he value life? Well, first of all, no one took Jesus' life from him. He gave it up on his own. He was a part of that plan. He was an adult, right? On earth, he became an adult when he gave up his life, and he is God. He existed before the creation of the world. According to John 1, 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was before any of it this was. And, and Jesus willingly gave up his life. These children are not willingly giving up their lives. Babies in the womb are not willingly giving up their lives. This is not by their choice. Now, we have to make sure that the people who think otherwise, who think that life doesn't begin until the baby is actually born 
or whether they think that there's some marker in the womb that once it can do these things, then it's a life. If somebody thinks differently than I think, that does not give me the right to belittle them. It doesn't give me the right to not love them. It doesn't give me the right to say, uh, I'm, I'm about to fall up here. Uh, it doesn't give me the right to say that uh, all of you are going to hell and I'm not going to have anything to do with you. Jesus tells us to even love our enemies. So let's just imagine that these people are enemies. What are we supposed to do? Love them. And so as we get ready to close, I do want to say that there are some very, very, very difficult circumstances that some people go through. I do think that most abortions happen, happen out of simply comfort. They decide it would be easier for them if, if they took this path. Well, for Christians, we don't have that right. We can't think about what's best for us. We have to put others' needs before our own. And so if there's life within us, and look, I'm a man, I get it, like telling women how to do this, but I'm just trying to say what the Bible is saying. And anyway, if there is life in us, we have to put that life first before our own. But there are even more difficult circumstances. What about women who did not choose to get pregnant? right, who had something was forced upon them. That's difficult. That's difficult. Sometimes in life, no choice is a good choice. We're only offered bad choices. We have to make the best of those bad choices. And I would uh, encourage that woman to see a counselor because of what she's gone through. There are some things that she will need to work through. But even in a situation like that, I know this is difficult to say, but if I believe that life is life, then, man, I I would hope that that woman would have that baby. And if she, understandably, if she cannot raise that child, then I would pray that one of us would step up to raise it, right? That someone who loves God and values life would would do that. And then there are, are, are even more situations coming down the road. We're coming to a place where we can know diseases and ailments that babies have before they're even born. So what are we going to do when we find out that our child is going to be born with something? We better value life. I can't make all of our decisions for us, but we better value life. And what are we going to do when a mother is, is sick to a point where... And this is extremely, extremely, extremely rare, by the way. But what do you do when a mother is sick to the point where if she goes through with having the baby, she's going to die? We value life. And which life do we value more? Man, that is tough, isn't it? I don't have the answer for that. But you, the, the wife, and if she's married, her spouse and their families, they need to pray. They need to ask God what to do. And they need to make the decision that's best for them. And the rest of us need to respect it. And we need to stay out of it. And we, in, in a sense of let them make the decision. And then we love them no matter what decision they made. Because who knows what's right. I always go back to this illustration. But it's like the first one I heard. And it's like, so I default back to it. But it's, it's the situation where, let's say you're hiding Jewish people in your house during the time of Hitler. And, and a Nazi knocks on your door someone from Giuseppe knocks on your door and says, do you have Jewish people in the house? 
Now, if you answer yes, they're going to kill the Jewish people. If you answer no, you have told a lie. Uh, Personally, I would tell a lie every single time, right? I think. But what do you do? Is there a right way to answer? Of course, I, I told you what I think, so of course I think there is a right way to answer, but you could make a case for either way. And sometimes we're faced with, with situations like that. But what I know is that God values life and that God loves each one. And if we're making our decisions based on what we truly think is best according to his word and his will, all things are working together, right? For the good of those who uh, love him and are called according to his purposes, he, he is going to work it all out. And there is going to be a day when we don't have to struggle with all of these uh, philosophical or uh, theological questions where we are just going to get to be in his presence. And we are going to get to experience his love. And we are going to get to experience his embrace. And all the times that we were in those difficult situations where we didn't know what to do, we are going to feel the warm, welcome embrace of our Savior. And all the times, for those of us who know Christ and his blood has covered our sins, where he gave his life, he took our punishment for us, for those of us who fit that description, we are going to be standing before God, and when he says, you know you did this, you know you despised life here, you know you sinned in this way, you, you, you murdered someone, you lied, you stole, you did whatever it is that you did. When you're standing before God, and he tells you, you know you did those things, but enter into your master's joy, my good and faithful servant because of what Christ has done for us. Now let's live our life in a way that honors him. Let's value life like God values life. And the the person who disagrees with us and who is spewing hatred or taking actions and steps that we would never want them uh, to take, let's love them and value their life just as much as the life that we're trying to protect. Let's pray.